Thank you for tuning in to the Good News Bible Podcast. I'm Jamie Baker, I'm here with Jay Dixon, and we truly appreciate you taking your time to join us as we open up the pages of the Bible and study and examine the Word of God. We hope that the time that you spend with us is beneficial. We pick up where we left off with the Kingdom of God in the New Testament from the first episode. What you see in Acts, the beginning of Acts, is this um, this coming, this 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 thing that's happening now, and so the Gospels lead up to it. The Gospels lead up to the coming of the kingdom, and then Acts tells us about its establishment. And in Acts one, and verse eight, uh, Jesus is telling them this is again just before they he ascends into heaven. He says. Um, well, he says in verse 7, let me back up there. He says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here, there he explains the expansion, and he gives them the marker for which this is going to happen. He says, you know, you don't need to know specifics. You don't need to know the time. That's God's purview. So just accept that fact. But I will give you a marker. I'll tell you when it starts, and you're going to know for certain when it starts is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when that happens, this preaching of the gospel that I told you has to happen is going to begin in Jerusalem, and then it's going to expand out into Judea and Samaria, and then from there it's going to explode into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he does give them everything that they need to know in order to get out there and to to fulfill this this mission this purpose uh, of preaching the good news that he's given them to do right and, I, and it's interesting if you if you think about what we said a moment ago it was in mark 9 1 about the kingdom coming with power and we see that happening here and if you back up to verses 1 through 3 of acts chapter 1 there you'll find down there in verse number 3 uh, what he talked to them about over those those times that that time that he spent with them after after he was resurrected, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he, he's this is his message that he is revealing again to his disciples, his apostles once again, who's going to go out to all the world preach the gospel as he has commissioned them to do, and. I think about what is said back in Luke 24 as he we were reading a moment ago and he talked about how all these things must take place he says in verse 49 behold I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high so again all those puzzle pieces going together Mark 9 Luke 24 Acts 1 we see all these things coming together we see this power uh, being it's clearly being established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you went back and pointed that out about the coming kingdom because that really gives us that marker. I mean, that give, that just is that one last reiteration that the things that you're about to experience are the marker for the coming of that kingdom. And Acts 2 begins that way, uh, tells us that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And so they did exactly what Jesus said to do. They go back to Jerusalem and wait. Go back to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to tell you exactly when it's going to happen, but go back and wait. And so it's, 
it's interesting that this happens on Pentecost because if you look at at the series of events, you know, Passover would have been just a month prior and or just recent, you know, it would have been not uh, not not too long ago. And then Pentecost, actually 50 days, I guess. Um, but a lot of people would have would travel to Jerusalem and stay from Passover to Pentecost because you know people would come to Jerusalem for these feasts and these were these were two of the of the big three for them and so a lot of people would come to Jerusalem for uh, Passover and then they would just stay until Pentecost and then after Pentecost would, they would go home so there was a lot of people packed into Jerusalem at this time and so it's interesting that he this happens at Pentecost and that's a, that's a whole, again, a whole other thing. No, I, that I like that about. point really quick if I can chime in on that because uh, when you think about the scene there, you're exactly right because if you go back in the book of Leviticus and you see what all was what all was necessary for what needed to take place on Pentecost to take place, this was, this was a big, big ordeal. I mean, there, there was a lot going on. I mean, an opportune time to preach the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, just jumping ahead a little bit, we uh, just see what Jesus intended for the kingdom to be with how these people behave towards one another after the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is again a whole other thing. We've got, we've got, we've got years and years worth of these podcasts to do, James. Sure, <laughs> uh, this stuff. But um, uh, but yeah, so Jesus tells them in in, in Acts or we're told uh, by the Holy Spirit, Luke recounts through the Holy Spirit force in Acts 2, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you can tell that this is not... You're, I mean, obviously, to us, you know, you look at it and you go, that, that ain't normal. That's not your normal everyday event. But we're told in verses 5 and, and on there, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men. Again, from who? From where? Every nation. So this is, again, the, the coming of the kingdom, and it's going to be preached to every nation, and it starts right from the get-go, right out of the gate. With power. With power, Exactly right out of the gate with power and um, every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And, and there's so many different people from so many different places and so many different languages being spoken and they all heard. It's just, there's no doubt that this was the marker. There can't be any doubt that this was the marker. Jesus says that, that uh, in fact, he told him, um, that, that some of you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what do we see happen? Mm-hmm. Well, you see this, this rushing wind coming through the house there and tongues of fire sitting over top of them there. Jesus had opened their understanding prior to this. And so this had to have been, hey, this is it. This is the thing we've been waiting on. You know, this, this had to have been just so clearly obvious to right. them. And it seems that it was pretty obvious to everybody else too because people gather together to see this spectacle that's going on. It's interesting because 
imagine all of the different, and we have it listed there for us, just all the different groups that were there and languages that were there. And they all were hearing the same thing. They all were hearing the same thing, even though they were hearing it in their own language. Uh, verse 11 says, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they understood what they were hearing. And it was confusing that they all were hearing the same thing in all these different languages. And just imagine the power behind that. And it, it, it's it's kind of somewhat comical. They they go on to say, whatever could this mean? So yeah, it's it, like one of those like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they didn't know exactly what it meant, but they knew that it was something they needed to pay attention to right. because one thing they said, they said... We're hearing this in our own language. And who's doing the talking? It's these uh, Galileans. Yeah. That, does, that doesn't. And we, you know, I may have mentioned before these Galileans are just they're country folks. You know, they're they're fishermen, they're farmers, they're they're herdsmen. They're and, us. They're us exactly. They're they're us. Um, and so it just it's it, it is it's almost comical their reactions and their responses. But again, that points back to the coming. Uh, with power. Well, that, that statement reminds me of uh, whatever could this mean. It reminds me of came, kind of the same response that they had on the road to Emmaus. We, we thought he was the one. And and in, you think about maybe the frustration with Jesus sometimes that he has with us. And even today, I mean, there's obvious things. You know, we, we're looking at this. We're going back. We have the ability to see everything before and after and during. But truth is, Jamie, had you and I been there, we would have been having this same response. No doubt. And, and and so as we think about whatever could this mean, we need to think about the privilege and the blessing that we have that we don't have to ask whatever could this mean. We know what this means because we have it recorded for us here in Scripture, the perfect mind of God revealing these things to us that this is this is happening. This is a fulfillment of of what the Old Testament prophets spoke of, and we see it taking place here because I think by nature we're we're kind of a, a show-me type of people. Uh, sometimes you have to show me three or four times before I get it. But yeah, right. <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, if I had been here just speaking for myself on the day of Pentecost, I, I still would have been thinking, this, this sounds familiar, but, you know, what's going on here? And... So, so I think I would have been asking that question as well. And I, I hope I wouldn't have been mocking saying they're full of new wine, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I tell you what, I've, I've seen some people who have been full of new wine, and the one thing that they've never done is stood up and started speaking in 15 different foreign languages. The wonderful <laughs> works of <from> God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Haven't spoken wonderful words from God sure. in 15 languages. Right. So uh, I, I think that's just a, that was a grasp at, uh, grasp at something <laughs> Mm-hmm. to try to understand but what's really uh what's really remarkable is that peter of course peter would be the one who jesus said hey peter remember you're a rock peter's the one who stands up but he doesn't just stand up and go hey let me explain this to you through the power of the holy spirit and through the understanding that jesus had provided for them opened up their understanding peter stands up and he recounts the words of the prophet Joel, which is a perfect lead into this because he's not saying, hey, listen to me about this. He's saying, listen to the prophets. You all are here. You, these were these people who were in Jerusalem for Pentecost were not just 
everyday people on the street. These were religious, faithful, God-fearing, God-serving people who had come there for the purpose of keeping the law, who had come there for the purpose of keeping this peace. These were people who sought to serve God and went out of their way and went to tremendous personal expense to do that. And if these were indeed people who had been there from the time of uh, Passover, would have indicated their commitment to serving God by the fact that they took this time to stay in Jerusalem in order to be able to keep this feast. And so these, you know, I, I, I try not to be, I keep trying to put myself in their shoes when we read this and uh, to understand the circumstances that were going on there because it really helps me to understand the kind of people that these were. These were good, God-fearing people who recognized this as something spectacular. And Peter begins by, by quoting the prophet Joel. And, and Joel said, and this was, uh, this was uh, out of something that they would have been familiar with, uh, out of the prophets. And from Joel 2, verses 28 to 32, specifically is where this passage comes from. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, not says Peter, says God, comes to pass in the last day, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's, that's coming at a, at a point in the future where there would be uh, both men and women prophesying. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Well, I don't think you could deny that this wasn't a sign. Mm -hmm. um, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Well, what happened? There were all these indications at Jesus' crucifixion. And it says that that would happen prior to the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he's saying with the coming of the kingdom, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, this thing that happens in the last days, these things are inherently tied to salvation. And that was an important message for them to hear. This isn't just something, this isn't just some freak show. This isn't just something that's, that's happening that's amazing. This is happening for a reason, and it's something that you need to have that you need to pay attention to, because when these events transpire, it's directly tied to salvation, mm -hmm. and that's not coming from me. That's coming from the prophets. Right. Yeah, and these things would, along with what you're saying, would, would signal again this this establishment of the kingdom, this kingdom that we've been talking about, and. Uh, again, going back to Acts 1, Jesus spoke to his disciples about things pertaining to the kingdom. In verse 8 again, he says, uh, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we see that power coming upon them as we talked about at the beginning of chapter 2. And then uh, there's no doubt as, as Peter goes right to something, as you pointed out, they would be familiar with, something that, they could not deny. Uh, this wasn't just Peter said, I, I think this is maybe what Joel was talking about or Isaiah or whoever. He said, you know, I'm going to give you a, a whole section of that prophecy. And what you're seeing right now, I'm, we're applying that to what Joel said, and this is the fulfillment of that. And so, again, here's another. And, and at this point, 
at least for us, and, and maybe it's starting for them, but especially for us at this point, the puzzle is starting to really take some form. Oh, it's absolutely. starting to really clear up and you're starting to see this bigger, bigger picture here of all of these prophecies from Isaiah and Daniel and Joel and and what Jesus and John was talking about. And as you were talking, I even thought about another thing that, that Jesus talked about casting out casting out devils. He says, When you see these things, know that the kingdom of God is nigh. So that was another sign, you know, during his ministry upon the earth that his miracles and what was confirmation to John that he was the Christ, he was the coming one when John was in prison. All of those things, again, were just pointing toward the fact that the kingdom was nigh and now here it is, it's being established. And if, if you're really getting this at this particular point in the first century on the day of Pentecost and you're having one of those Simeon or Anna moments here and, and it has that light bulb moment like I have sometimes <laughs> and you get excited and he says, oh, okay, this is what Joel is talking about, then I'm really excited at this point if I get this because I know what's what's on the horizon. I, I know that, like you said, there's some liberty here. There's some freedom for us now, and we're part of something that, wait a minute, Daniel said was eternal. Not something that's going to be taken or, or left to other men. It's not going to be anything like these other physical kingdoms. This is something, wait a minute, Jesus said this is this is something that is is within you this is something that is is going to fill the whole earth and, and you have to be getting excited here if you're really getting this at this particular point yeah absolutely and you know the thing that uh the other thing that peter does is is he doesn't just give him a, a one and done statement which he could have i mean that what he could have spoken what joel said and said hey this is what joel meant by this what you're seeing right now is the fulfillment of that that's good enough. I mean, and it would have been. That would have been a good enough statement for them. But he goes on and he continues and, and he continues to quote uh, uh, prophecies and scriptures to them revealing that this is the coming of the kingdom that was, uh, that was prophesied about. And he goes to in his, uh, in his sermon there, his, his speech, his, his description of this to one that they would have revered that's David. He speaks about uh, David, and, and they would have held everybody in Israel held David. That was kind of their benchmark. I mean, he was the, he was the guy that all other Israelites were compared against because David David was described as a man after God's own heart. He was the king. He was the leader during their most prosperous time. You know, he was just he was the king. Uh, that relative to all the other kings, he he was the guy, and. So Peter goes on and he talks about David at that point, which would have really, again, grabbed their attention there, uh, Acts 2 and verse 29. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried in his tombs with us today. So he says, Hey, look, uh, let me talk to you something about David. You know David. You know that his bones are buried right over here. You know about him. This isn't some some mysterious prophecy. This is somebody you have some familiarity with. And he goes on and talks to him about how David was a prophet, how David spoke prophecies regarding this, and how David said, um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he, 
He's tying all this together with David's kingship and these words that were spoken about the coming kingdom and the coming king who would come from the lineage of David. And he says, look, you need to, you need to kind of rationalize something in your mind here. David's dead. David's not with us. And so how could somebody who come after David, David call Lord? We all refer to David as as our master, as our as our serv- as our uh, as you know not really servants, but we we recognize him as as the king uh, still to this day. And he says, so how is it that he being dead could refer to someone who came after him as Lord? And he's that's where he pulls Jesus into the into the mix, and he says, Jesus, this is the guy, and all that he did. And all that was prophesied about and all that was spoken is referring to him. It's referring to him. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy. All this stuff that you've seen with Jesus, all that stuff that that happened with him is what uh, he's the king. Mm -hmm. He's the new king and he's the guy that David was talking about. You revere David. You trust David. You believe in David. You believe in the prophets. You're all good, God-fearing people. This is what it's all about. Right, and th- these are things, verse 25 says, says, David says concerning him. And as, as we look at those verses down through verse number 28, uh, you talked earlier about how Jesus, Jesus wasn't the type of king and he didn't ascend to the throne the way that any other king ever did or ever would. He hung on a cross, he was humiliated and all these different things. But now... Remember what was said uh, about him that he would be glorified, he would be raised and exalted and given that seat. And he's talking about that here. Paul mentions it in Philippians 2 as well. But what is said there in verse number 27, he says, Concerning him, concerning Jesus, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And I can't help but think about what we were talking about in Matthew 16 earlier. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, this church that I'm going to build. So, so we start seeing, again, this, this puzzle coming together and these right. pieces coming together and the establishment of this church that the resurrection of Jesus. So, so yes, this king was humiliated. He hung on the cross. But now our king, they, they killed him. He came back to life. Now, <laughs> I'm excited to have a king who, who can be put to death and come back. Hey, right. that, that's yeah. a powerful king. So, so if you had any doubts about any weakness of your king when he was hanging on that cross, well, the fact that he came back from all of that, n- not just the death itself, it wasn't just a, a quick blow with a sword and he was gone. It, it was humiliation and, and agony and pain and, and all of these different things. And then he was put to death, died on a cross. And he came back from that, and this is our king. And he's sitting, and no wonder they had the response that they had. What can we do? Right. What shall it, we do? What, it, is exactly. there anything we can do? Yeah, this is where you have that. What well, we, you and I have talked about this before. We have that uh oh moment, right? Where they have that recognition because what Peter's making that connection. What you just said, Jesus, you saw what happened. You saw with your own eyes what happened to him, how he died. People don't come back from that. David, you know about David. David died of old age. And he still did. He didn't come back from that. David didn't come back from dying. He died an old man. His bones are buried right over there. Jesus died 
in a brutal way. He didn't die of old age. He didn't didn't die in a mysterious way. He died right out there in front of everybody for everyone to see. It was a public spectacle. It was humiliation. He died in the most horrific way possible. And guess what? He's alive now. That's a that's a that's a pretty significant thing. And he said, and he tells them, he says, look, we're witnesses to this. Mm-hmm. We're witnesses to this. There's a bunch of us standing here right now who know this and can attest to this for a fact that he is alive. This isn't any kind of a, a look, I saw it, but I, you're just going to have to take my word for it. No, no, no. This in, in, a, in a court of law, multiple witnesses give credibility to a, a story. And Peter's saying, look, there's a whole slew of us who saw this right here. So if you got any questions, you can you can check with us and we can all corroborate what I'm saying to you right now. He died. You saw him die, but he came back. He's alive now. That's I find it interesting. After he tells them all that, verse 36, he says, oh, by the way, you're the one that did this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You crucified him. Yeah. You talk about. You talk about a, a kick in the gut, right? Yeah, this uh, this Jesus. All right. Now, yeah. when they heard this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's the part that that yeah. that, that was the final uh, yeah. the the final yeah. factor that really really stabbed them. Than that, so so this event marks the it's here now. Period. So you know we had the leading up to in the Gospels, and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost marks the it's happening right now period. And we've discussed that in pretty significant length and pretty significant detail. And so the question at that point becomes, what about everybody else from this time forward? Okay, so so then you've got the from then until now period. And the scriptures don't leave us guessing about that either. They, they don't leave us questioning that. They don't leave us wondering where we fit into the kingdom. And we got, we have a, a number of scriptures that we're going to talk about now that paint the picture of where we are in this kingdom today. How do we fit into it? And so the first one that I want to, uh, to look over at is Colossians. Colossians 1 and verse 13. Get over there in my Bible. Colossians 1 and verse 13. All right, so speaking again, um, Paul is writing this and he's speaking to those in Colossae. And it says, He, Jesus, has delivered us, us, me and you, them, us, from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love and so now it's this wasn't just for them this wasn't just for those people that were there this Mm -hmm. is for people this is paul wrote this you know a good number of years after a good number of years after the those events on on pentecost and he's writing to them and he's writing to us saying that yeah you also you've also been conveyed into that kingdom, you've also been brought into that kingdom, and so that gives us some uh, some confidence mm-hmm. that it wasn't uh, just for those people that were there. Despite the fact that Jesus had said, you know, it's going to begin in Jerusalem and it's going to expand out, which we saw in the Book of Acts, and you know, we spent uh, we could spend just hours and hours and hours talking about those events in the Book right. of Acts and the expansion of the 
the kingdom of God. But Paul tells those in, in Colossae that you have been delivered from the power of darkness and been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, the very thing that Jesus was, was talking about to His disciples before He ascended into heaven. This has got to be done. This had to be done in order for there to be forgiveness of sins, remission of sins. And that same thing that uh, has been done for us. And that, that's just, that's so comforting to know that that the application of what Jesus did has carried forward to include us despite the fact that we didn't see him despite the fact that we weren't witnesses to what happened in Pentecost it's his power that coming with power had so much power that time couldn't stop it right uh, yeah I want to I want to jump back to Acts for just a moment yeah, to sure. kind of play off what you're saying there um, in regards to us is is after we come out of Acts two verse thirty eight thirty nine we we see what takes place there uh, with the uh, repent and be baptized and, and remission of sins in the beginning of verse forty down through the end of the chapter there, there's a little subtitle my Bible says a vital church grows and I wrote above church kingdom a vital kingdom grows because as we've talked about already this going to fill the earth one all nations are going to flow to it. It's going to begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And, and as you were pointing out a moment ago, we, we see that happening in the book of Acts. In verse 40 there beginning, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Then we see things happening that's vital within the kingdom. And again, that's, that's another subject we could talk about another time. Uh, but then we see the Lord adding to the church daily those who are being saved or again I think we could interchange there the Lord added to the kingdom daily those who are being saved because the borders of this kingdom and citizens who are becoming uh, citizens of this kingdom it's growing at this time and we see that continue to happen throughout the book of Acts and going along with what you were saying a moment ago uh, this isn't just a story for people of long long ago we're still being added to the, this kingdom is continuing to grow to this very day the idea of filling the whole earth it's still happening today so what responsibility do we have today and that's one of the the primary purpose of this podcast is uh certainly we want to glorify god first and foremost but the primary purpose of our podcast is to enlarge the borders of the kingdom to make citizens of this kingdom that we're studying about, understand what type of kingdom it is, and do the work that they were doing in the book of Acts. If, if we jump back for just a moment, and you remember when Jesus, in, in both of those instances, in Mark 1 and in Matthew 4, when it says Jesus came in and he was preaching, the kingdom, repent for the kingdom's at hand, believe you the gospel, believe you the good news. What follows that is he goes and calls his disciples, says, come, I'll make you fishers of men. You can't you can't disconnect what was going to be happening there. That was going to be the message. Remember, the message that they were to preach was the same one: repentance and remission of sins be preached in Jerusalem. And again, it's going to spread and go out. Well, we still have that responsibility today to grow this kingdom in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason that we spend so much time reading scriptures, and that is because I don't want anybody to have the idea that any of this is my thinking. You know, the, 
the responsibility for growing the kingdom doesn't come from me or my opinions. My opinions don't matter one one ounce, not one whit. And the reason that we spend so much time reading scriptures and focusing on scriptures and pointing out scriptures is to that point that this is coming from God. This is coming from the Holy Spirit. This is coming from Jesus. This is coming uh, from them and it's instruction for us in how to handle these things, how to do this, uh, exactly what you're saying, to grow the kingdom of God, to spread the borders of his kingdom. And, you know, Jesus told his disciples when he was on earth, people are going to hate you for what you do. People are not going to listen to you. And that may very well be the case, but it doesn't uh, absolve you of your responsibility to go teach that, to go share that. And what the reason we I wanted to do this podcast and that we wanted to do this podcast <coughs> excuse me was because we believe this and this is the this podcast is really just a recording of what you and I do when we're together anyway right. <laughs> uh, we just uh, you know we, we find ourselves talking about this because sure. we're both excited about this and, and but but want other people to to open this up and look at it don't take my word for it open it up and look at it read what it says and take it for what it says because this is power and and it carries with it some really significant um, results and consequences uh, of not being obedient to these words yeah and just to kind of play off your point there about many will not hear many will not listen Um, I I think about the charge given to Moses to go deliver the Israelites out from under Egyptian bondage and it was no surprise God told him that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart he's not going to let them go and Moses comes back and says they won't listen and the charge didn't change you you still have this responsibility to, to be my deliverer to deliver this message that I give you so irrespective of whether people will listen to the message or not we still have a responsibility to, responsibility to preach the gospel of the kingdom to preach this message and uh, and I, I really appreciate what you said because that's clearly all we're trying to do uh, our opinions uh, matters zero uh, and if, if we are inserting our thoughts and opinions about something and, and preaching in his truth, then you're not to accept that. You know, that's what Paul said, Galatians 1. If, if anyone comes to you with another gospel than that which you have received, let yeah, him be accursed. Let it be accursed. And, exactly. you know, and, and, and we, we would say the same thing. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Correct us if if you find us wrong. Show us Please. the Scripture. The only thing we ever ask is that we open our Bibles up and be able to prove it from Scripture. Absolutely. Right. Going back to what we were talking about before, about how the kingdom includes us, and that uh, another scripture again, as, as we are inclined to do, is to go to scripture, uh, referring to that fact and pointing out the fact that we're included in the kingdom of God comes from the Hebrew writer, uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 22 and 23. And I, I love this because, again, it, it goes back to Isaiah, it goes back to the prophecies there. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Well, where did he say it would flow from? It would flow from Zion. You've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to this. 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, through the spirits of just men made perfect. And that's what, what a kingdom that is. Look, at, look down at verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What kind of instruction? I mean, that's just impressive. Look here. You've been added to a kingdom that includes the general assembly of the church, the host of heaven. And since that is your kingdom, that's the kingdom that's being handed to you. We're receiving that kingdom. A kingdom which can't be touched, a kingdom which can't be shaken, a kingdom which can't be affected or impacted by anything else. It's under God's purview. Since that is the case, what's our responsibility? Let us have grace. Let's have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. And we can't let that go without being stated that we have an obligation to humble ourselves before God and to serve Him in a way that's acceptable, not to me, not according to my opinion, not according to my thoughts of what acceptable worship are, but according to Him. Because He's handing me a kingdom which I can't possibly attain on my own. I can't possibly attain this kingdom. He's handing me a kingdom that includes the host of heaven, the whole church and the host of heaven too. And what he asks for me in return is to humble myself and give him godly fear. You got it. That's a deal. That's good news, buddy. Absolutely. That's, uh, because the imagery that's that's portrayed there, I mean, Jesus himself said I, to his disciples, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many mansions. Again, remember, think about who he's talking to. He's talking to, to, to poor people, poor people who were oppressed by a Roman system, people who were, who were living under very challenging and difficult and stressful and struggling times financially. And he says, look, what's waiting for you on the other side is something that you're not going to find here. There's a, there's a kingdom there where there's a mansion with your name on the front door, right. and that's what I'm going to get ready for you. And the Hebrew writer says the same thing to here, the same thing here for us. You're being handed a kingdom that includes the host of heaven. And because of that, you have a responsibility and obligation to serve God acceptably, to serve God according to the way that he dictates we serve him with reverence, with godly fear. And then he goes on and says in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, you don't want to cross that. He's given you something that you can't attain on your own. That's tremendous news. All he's asking in return is that we serve him the way he's asked to be served. Yeah, it made me think of uh, a section of scripture in Philippians chapter three, and where he talks about our, where our citizenship is. Right. Philippians chapter three, verse seventeen says, "Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ." whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And then he, here's the contrast. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Follow my example, because this is where our citizenship is. We are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is what he's done for us, as you very well pointed out a moment ago. This is, uh, this is our reasonable service, we may say, from Romans chapter 12. This is what God has done for us. This is what he asks of us. And if this is truly where our citizenship is, and this is what he has done for us, uh, let's remind ourselves of, of that and make sure we're walking the walk we need to walk. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and it's just so well, well said. I don't think I really need to, to add anything to that. It's just what a what a kingdom and so you know this this really begs a question though i mean we've talked about our our presence in the kingdom how god has handed this kingdom to us and what he expects us to do um, his expectations for us are to serve him the way he's been uh, or he's described he's given to us in the scriptures and certainly we can go to the scriptures and open up its pages and read it and study it and that for ourselves and that's what we should do absolutely we should do that and and have these things come to to an understanding for ourselves because i can't i can't force you to understand in fact i can't even do anything more than than just point it out and help you to understand you know to to, to point it to you but understanding really comes as a result of your desire to know anyone's desire to know and so if the question that we've talked about, our presence in this kingdom, inevitably is, yeah, this is good news. I love it. I love what I'm hearing. How do I do it? Right. Uh, how, how do I get hold of that? Um, and there's so many different thoughts of, about that. And again, what the Hebrew writer tells us is that we are obligated to serve God acceptably, which means that we should be looking to serve him the way he has indicated. And God doesn't just let us run willy-nilly into the gates of this kingdom he there's there's a process there's a there's some steps that he's given us that we need to accomplish and, and that's pointed out in john 3 to nicodemus because nicodemus comes to jesus he came to jesus by night saying you know i love what i'm hearing uh there's some things i don't get and so i just want to read john 3 verses 1 through 7 jesus discussion with nicodemus because it really lays the groundwork for what we need to understand for how we get into this kingdom, for how we get into heaven. And so John 3, beginning in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is speaking to him about this second birth, a second birth. And that just blows Nicodemus' mind. He says in verse 4, Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is thinking about birth, birth, <laughs> physical birth, and doesn't understand the spiritual connection to that. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, listen to me, Nicodemus. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of what? Of water and the Spirit. Unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Cannot. 
That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. If one is not born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This isn't anything that's mysterious, but you need to understand the process, right. Nicodemus. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's so many scriptures and passages that we could talk about. And at some point, I really want to do that. I really want to talk about the uh, the, the gateway into the kingdom, what, what a person has to do to find entrance into that because that's really what I want for people to do and I you know I'd really like to at some point bring in some people that have some differing opinions on this and have a frank discussion with them so that everybody can hear mm -hmm. what what people have to say I don't think there's any harm in that in, in having good sound Bible discussions and frank discussions very profitable yeah sure yeah and so yeah if someone were to ask can I be saved without being born again or being born of the water and the spirit it wouldn't it wouldn't matter what i think about that or what you think about it it's precisely we would just go to what you just read and as you pointed out clearly and very boldly he says cannot so that what would be the answer to that question then the answer would be no yeah, no exactly so it's absolute something that's essential that one be born again of the water and of the spirit in order to see the kingdom of god absolutely I mean, and if we go back to when things were were happening in Acts, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them and, and Peter was preaching, we said there was that uh-oh moment where Peter says, oh, by the way, you're the one that killed the Christ. And they asked that question, men and brethren, what shall we do? As you've pointed out many times in, in the past, I think that question is really, what can we do? We're in a bad spot here. We're in a, we're in a situation where we find ourselves separated from God. We've done things that we can't fix, that we can't correct. We can't go unkill Jesus. He's dead. He's alive. But we put him to death. We did this. So what do we do? How do we fix this situation? And you know what Peter's response to that was? And he says, what? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be for baptized the for the remission of sins. And that goes right along with what Jesus said. That baptism, that, that purification by water. And we could go to, to Mark 16, 16, again, Jesus' words. We could go to uh, what Peter says uh, about that. We could go to all of the imagery that's painted with the, the comparison with Noah and the water there. We could go to Romans 6 and we could talk about the how all of that transpires, what baptism actually does for us mm -hmm. in the contact of the blood and how we're putting to death that old man and rising in newness of life. We could go and talk about all this. The scriptures don't leave us uh, for lack of information about why this is. But the very fact that Jesus said, this is what, when he gave the Great Commission, he said to go out and to preach the gospel of the whole world and baptizing, mm -hmm. go baptizing. So Jesus said many times himself that this is what has to happen. Why would we deny that? Why yeah. would we not at least consider that as a possibility when the scriptures have given so much detail about that? Well, and we go we go to just briefly some examples in Acts eight. Here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Can any man forbid water? In the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, 
It's, so we see examples of this taking place. They went down into the water, both Philip and Enoch, and he, he baptized him. And I, I would like to, as well as you said a moment ago, is at some point we will. We, we will look at those passages, and we, we, will, we will talk about baptism even more in depth and, and what's taking place there. But again, it's, it's clear in Scripture that when, when statements are made uh, like by Jesus there in John 3, you cannot. And when there's a clear question asked, what must we do? And there's a very clear answer, repent and be baptized for remission of sins. And, and I, again, I love the word repent. I, I think it's sometimes misunderstood is you need to change your mind about who Jesus is because they right. thought something wrong about Jesus and his kingdom. And it's very similar to the message that Jesus was preaching before. You need to change your mind about this and you need to be baptized for forgiveness or for the remission of your sins. And it's it's something that's clearly taught in Scripture. And it's not, it's not at all, I want to go to a few verses in Titus for just a moment because it's not at all uh, discrediting or saying that we're trying to earn our way or we're trying to work our way or that we're not saved by grace because uh, Titus chapter 3 uh, ties in very well with John chapter 3. If you'll notice there in verse number 3, uh, of Titus chapter 3, Paul writes, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of our God and Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, Jesus didn't come to this earth because man deserved it. We deserve death. It came by the love of God, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through what? Through the washing of regeneration. That's the same word as born again. That's the same thought, the same idea there. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, there's... I have to put things in terms that I can understand for me. I mean, I, I take things and I put them in terms that I can understand. And the way I see this is exactly what you said. This isn't a work. This isn't an, anything that I, I'm doing that earns this for me. And, and I imagined a scenario, seeing how Jesus has talked about king. We've talked about kingdoms and we talked about mansions and things like that. If I imagine a situation where someone came to me and says, I'm bequeathing an estate to you, a house and land and, and all of these things. And in order for you to take possession of that, what you've got to go down and do is to the title company and sign all the paperwork over for that. Me going to the title company and signing the paperwork over to me is in no way justifying or saying that, you know what, I've worked for that, I've earned that. In no way is that the case. The gift is just as grand. The gift is just as fabulous. The gift is just as undeserved as if I didn't do anything. By me going down and signing the paperwork, signing that title over to me, is just the process by which that gift is transferred mm -hmm. to me. Right. And, and this is exactly the way that I see baptism. And if I'm wrong about that, I need someone to explain it to me in terms that I can understand because what the scriptures indicate to me is exactly what we've been saying. And again, I want to, to spend a, a tremendous amount of time or, or at least discussing with people this 
concept and this fact mm-hmm. at some point in the future in, in much greater detail than we sure. have. We've referenced yeah. a bunch of scriptures this morning, and it's sufficient for people to take those and to go begin to study in those. But if I'm wrong about this, I need somebody to, to point it out in terms that I can understand because it definitely uh, does not jive with my understanding of the scriptures. Yeah, and you know, not to get off topic too much, but at the same time, I think it's important to think about this because... And and I will concede that I'm not going to throw anyone under a blanket. I, I learned to not do that a long time ago, as far as what people believe. So, but it seems as though either either you do nothing for salvation, or you have to do something. Even if you're going to uh, debate that baptism is not essential for salvation, and you say that we don't have to do anything to be saved. And then my question is, did someone believe for you? Because right. if you believed, you did something. And so it's not just that if we have no part in this at all, then what is said here in Titus 3 and what we read a moment ago, then that just automatically happens, which would that not then mean universal salvation if you don't have to do anything? If right. what yeah. Jesus accomplished on the cross saves us. So we have to do something. So, And we'll talk about this in a future episode. For sure, but so let's find out what Scripture says we we must do in order to be saved. And that question was asked very clearly there in Acts two, and Peter gave a very clear answer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that we've uh, we've we've covered the kingdom of God pretty well. Um, so we're definitely going to uh, um, this will come back up at certain times i'm sure and in future episodes of this podcast but we look forward to the the next episode and until then god bless you can't wait to talk to you again hope that you'll join us Uh, yeah jay would you uh would you say a prayer for us before we go father we thank you so much for your word we thank you for revealing your mind to us we ask father that you'd help us to have humble hearts humble spirits that we would look into your word and and realize who we are and who you are and we will take your word and be obedient to it that we'll be thankful for the liberty and the freedom that we have in jesus and that we will be thankful for the opportunity that you have blessed us with to be citizens in this beautiful kingdom that you have established for us that is eternal that we can become citizens of now and enjoy one day eternally with you in heaven We ask you, Father, that you'd always be with us as we study, that we would rightly divide your word, that we would not uh, decide that we're going to force our opinions or thoughts on it, but we would allow you to talk to us through your word. We thank you for Jesus most of all. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in. We welcome your questions and comments to be sent by email to gnbp at protonmail.com. That's G n b p at p r o t o n m a i l dot com